Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but prefer the classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the the final girl. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Julia. I'm Terry. And today, we're so excited today to be talking to the incredible Dennis Christopher. <laughs> yes. Uh, yay. Yay. One of our favorite stars of all time. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, Dennis, uh, let's talk about how uh, my my love for you. Let's start there. And uh, I so when Marion and I were doing the horror movie notebook in college, uh, we went through and watched every horror movie in the horror section of our local video store, which was like 200 and something movies. <laughs> And so you get in these these slumps where there's this period of like movie after movie that are just terrible, that are just mm. bad, and it's like sucking your soul a little bit. And then one will come along and be like, "Well, hell yeah, a revelation." Work. Yes, exactly. Mm. And and Fade to Black was one for me. So it was by comparison that you realized. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have no, loved it regardless, no. but it just happened to come at a time where we needed something to come along. Um, and you know the concept of a character who's so into film that he's kind of losing his mind. Well, eh, yeah. kind of relatable, relatable. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and then um, I started working at the New Beverly, and then I was like, well, here Eric Benford's fucking everywhere, man. Like yeah, this yeah. is what the New Beverly is. Yeah. And I wanted to show it there because I was like, uh, this is kind of poignant. Like yeah, let's yeah. let's look at ourselves here through this film. Um, well, in part in the movie, in one of the scenes. Um, when she's when uh, Linda Carriage's character is talking about where she's from and how they watched movies in Australia, right. he says that he wants to open up a little place, mm-hmm. and it's a real Tarantino dream yeah. that he has. Yeah, uh, way back in what year? Eighty. Oh, nineteen eighty. Thanks so for keeping track. <laughs> this year is for is the fortieth anniversary. Yeah, it's forty two um, this year. Yeah. So I have really tried to champion this film as much as I can. Not even try, Julia. I feel like every person we meet <laughs> I do. They, no, she usually has one of the pins on, you know, that's I like this Dennis beautiful Dennis pin. pin from the film. Shout out to point pin exploitation. Yeah. My pin. You it's know the fade to black. The fade to yeah. back yeah. black pin. Yes, you know, but, but it's I got I still feel like partly, I'm, I'm supporting my friend when I wear it. Well that's because you know, we love we've crossed it. the line. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she tells everyone and I love that and I love that I'm you supposed to tell no, not, not just to watch the film. Yes. So <laughs> we you, want that. I'd say you have it on tape. I have it on VHS. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that film, Dennis. Uh, Is that why you were always adjusting the teddy bear can? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> he fouled me out. <laughs> um, so I ended up programming programming it at the New Beverly, and uh, you came down and talked, and I met you. I met Vernon Zimmerman, the writer director. Um, and uh, we've just kind of become chums, haven't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm so delighted to have you on today. So we're going to start uh, <laughs> talking about your life. So talk about first... Uh, My life. Your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because your life is 
Interesting is all get out. You have the most incredible stories pretty much of anybody I know. Um, so we want to start at the beginning and talk about how you, <laughs> not like the day you were born, but like when you started to fall in love with acting in film is where we Oh, oh, oh. This is so arcane and boring, but I guess that's podcast. We want minute oh, details. You. That's what uh, we want. Yes. I, there used to be, Every holiday, every big... I was raised Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, not anymore. I'm a proud atheist yeah. practicing. Um, but um, um, I'm a spiritual atheist, actually. Uh, where did that come from? <laughs> anyway, every holiday, they'd always have a religious-themed movie on the TV. Sure. It'd be Ten Commandments. It would be The Robe. It would be... Uh, 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 the one with Victor Mature where he knocks everything, Solomon and Sheba. Oh, yeah. There'd be all of these things that they would drag out at Easter or Thanksgiving or whatever the pseudo or real Christian holiday was. And I, they used to, you know, you, it was, it was, it was early 60s, but it was still such a 50s vibe, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I mean, like you, you would sit kids down in front of this box that had a black and white picture on it. And uh, um, I remember really, really um, sort of almost infant uh, recollections of the Kennedy assassination mm. on oh, this yeah. box yeah. in our living room all the time, mm-hmm. you know? With a statue of the Blessed Virgin on top of it, wow. the TV, you know, where we'd all kneel around to say the rosary once a week. <laughs> it seems, yeah, it seems sort of quaintly barbaric, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. It's modern. It's modern altar. Yeah, you know. No, no, I'm very yeah. into ritual now. Yeah, right. Now that I'm, I'm, I'm not enslaved by it, sure. right? Or um, doing it out of fear, right? Right. I'm doing ritual out of joy and and remembrance, and um, it feeds my spirit, uh, my non-Christian sp- spirit, mm-hmm. or my encompassing Christian spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. I think it's. Anyway, it's, this is a rabbit hole. <laughs> We're back to the movies. Okay. So I'm plunked down in front of the TV set with these uh, things on, these uh, religious movies on. And there was one called The Robe. And it's about the garment that was retrieved by one of the Roman soldiers from the cross and is all of that. Is it the Shroud of Turin? Is no. That the, no, that's different? No, totally that's different okay. thing. See, that's this later. Is a, this that, is a non-religious person being like, do I know? No, I no. don't know. No, okay. The no, Shroud of Turin was not a movie is not a movie. Okay. Um, it's a... Uh, um, it's an artifact, okay, and it was supposedly the burial burial linen okay. because it's a, a continual thing, and it was a, a negative photograph from okay. the blood and the. But the robe is actually the robe he was wearing during the crucifixion, quote unquote. Yes. yes. Okay. Got um, it. And um, it was Richard Burton and Gene Simmons. Oh. And um, they were both so beautiful, uh-huh. and um, and. A glow yeah. with religious <laughs> fervor. fervor, right? And um, they were hot, yeah. super hot, and <laughs> super hot. Yeah. yeah, and you know the gladiator, and he was Roman, so he was a bad boy to start with. You know, she was the I'm Christian, and you know I'm sinewy and <laughs> lovely, and I'm Sinu- wearing an, a Halston goddess dress. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? oh, sure. but he was with the 
chest plates and yeah. the you know the fake you know Batman front mm-hmm. of the whole thing, little skirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the head, yeah. And uh, they walk to their uh, death, uh, hand in hand, mm-hmm. looking more beautiful each step as they take into this cloud, which is actually probably they were torn apart by lions somewhere, but okay. they don't focus on that. No, <laughs> we show the glorious ascent. Yeah. So there's one character in it by. by played by an actor named Jay Robinson. Now, I'm now so young that I don't know what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. I could be watching, I don't even know this word yet, documentary for all I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I'm looking at this stuff. Fact fiction. And there's they're talking about stuff that I kind of heard about in church, kind of. And, you know, I'm all scared and there's, you know crucifixion scenes and blood dribbling down feet that have nails in them and stuff, yeah. you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, um, I'm impressionable. <laughs> Is this what it's all about? Oh, you know, and so out comes this guy who's playing Caligula. Okay. Uh, who later I found out who that was, and I think we all know it, whether uh, we're religious or not, Probably from that uh, uh, Larry uh, Flint movie. Right. Was it Larry Flint? Is the produced? Malcolm McDowell yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. pornographic. Uh, well, Caligula. Helen Mirren. And sure, yeah, of course. Peter Super o- hot Helen Peter Mirren. Peter O'Toole and mm-hmm. right. everybody with blowjobs on the side. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> That's what I like. It's true. That's what I like. I'm just saying. Just on the side, you know, just yeah. as a treat. Yeah. <laughs> as a snack. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love this show. Okay. Anywho, so we're talking so yeah, about so Caligula, and 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 you saw Caligula. And you're like, uh, uh, I need to be. It's in not movies. that I'm silent. I'm just yes. my mouth is agape, and <laughs> I have to. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, my mouth is agape. But yeah. oh, excuse me, um, <laughs> were we talking about blowjobs on yeah. the side? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, um, I'm watching this guy just be the most evil thing in the world sending these beautiful Christians to their death, and he's just using up the whole proscenium, the whole Roman thing, and he's ranting back and forth and throwing the toga over his shoulder and saying, go to your God, and is this what it means? And, you know, it's just so unbelievably horrible. And I think it was my first encounter ever with a villain Mm -hmm. as a child. I mean, a real young child who doesn't even know what he's watching, doesn't even know that it's a movie, kind of. You know, because when you see Captain Kangaroo, you think that he's there, or Mm -hmm. or Mr. Rogers, and indeed, he was there. Right, just not in the way you... No, but he was a real person doing real things with real puppets and things. So I'm watching this other thing, and I'm thinking, I guess this is from the past or something. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, this is from the archives (laughs) somewhere, not knowing when movies started, not knowing any of that stuff. Right. So I'm thinking, wow. And I was really freaked out by the fear being instilled by this amalgam of evil that this guy was doing. Mm -hmm. Script and performance, really great. And then I started kind of, I don't know, I I couldn't take my eyes off it. And my sister walked through the room and she goes, you know, that's not real, you know. And I said, what? And she told me what movies were. Oh, wow. And I, I said, I don't know what words were used because I'm like almost pre-words. Right. Um, that that's not, that's, that was pretend. Okay. 
that he was pretending. And I, the, the idea that you could pretend something so intensely, because you can pretend like you're in love, you know, you can pretend like you got a little girlfriend that lives down the street and you held her hand and, you know, you sat at the tea party for a minute, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and that's my girlfriend and the parents think it's cute and all that crap. So those, you, that's, you know, Valentines and stuff that little kids get. Right. But this is like evil, like real. I didn't even know there was evil mm -hmm. kind of thing. I never heard of Hitler. I never heard of any of this stuff, of racism. I never heard of a goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just protected in a bubble. And then I see this person killing Christians, and I'm going, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. and, and then when I realized that he was pretending, I went, oh, you can pretend that hard? Yeah, yeah. I want to pretend that hard. Yeah. And that was the very first time. I don't think I went, oh, I want to be an actor, but I think I went like, I want to pretend really hard. Not necessarily that, like that dude, but as intensely in whatever it was as that dude. Of course, I then, you know, when I got to be older and I realized that I was, an, you know, that my life was ruined, I was going to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> there was no turning back. Um, I looked up this guy and he had a biography and he was um he was a real um wild guy he was a party guy ah. and um there used to be little bacchanalians at his yes. house and stuff and that's the kind of stuff i like i like that hollywood babylon kind of oh yeah people together belly and, the dolls uh, yeah. you know um knew where the weed was sure. <laughs> you know the, that kind the guy of guy you want to know that guy but he yeah. was also a fantastic actor as well mm -hmm. um of course, being a, a character actor, um, for many people, it's a river that dries up. Sure. Depending on what par part of their life that they hit on, you know, whether they hit on it as an older character or a, a young character actor. Right. Sometimes you get to do the whole thing for Sometimes, the rest of your yeah. life. Other so times you end up at signing conventions <laughs> or... <laughs> You can say that out loud if you Podcast? want. Oh, we love wah, you, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little arrow There's to the heart. There's nothing wrong so with you know, nothing. It's, it's the medium of the future we're and sit, now. We're sitting here and it's now. Mm -hmm. it's not and we're yesterday. having a good time, aren't we? Well, he goes, have, a, have a sip of your coffee. Uh, let's, Bed, uh, the New York Times, bagels and locks, not getting up until two in the afternoon. That's a good time. Yeah. Amen. But this is fun. Okay. So let's talk about uh, your your first uh, feature film, which was uh, Blood and Lace with Gloria Graham yeah. from 1971. Yeah. Tell, talk about that. What, how did you get involved and what was it like to work with Gloria Graham, who's you know iconic? Well, I didn't know any of that <laughs> before, but how did I get this movie? Were you here? Were you in California? Did no, you? I'd just gotten here. Okay. Um, no, I'd just gotten here for... First time, yeah. It was it was pre Europe. It was pre Fellini and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got here and I was um I looked much younger than I really was. And um I kind of had a unique look mm -hmm. um because um all the other quote unquote young people in this movie, because it, you know, it was an evil lady who ran an orphanage with bodies hanging in the, in the frigid air, in the uh, walk-in freezer down in the bottom of the basement, right. and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
and uh, they were all probably, I don't know, much older, like 35 or something, <laughs> playing 17. Sure. And, and the women looked like... Women? No, the girls <laughs> looked like professional ladies. Sure. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be cast in a... James Bond movie, right. you know, as a Bond girl at any moment, you sure. know what I mean? Even though they had pigtails, <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And the guys were all like buff and hot and all that stuff. And then there's this geeky um, kind of uh, mop, real mop top. I love your hair um, in this movie. Not, not, not controlled, not blow dried, just that kind of gorgeousness. No, uh, like, um, like skater kids now. You yeah. Know what I mean? Gorgeousness. Just, yeah. Oh, is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, sorry. You I have to understand, like, my idea. I didn't know that's the new. Oh, we love it. Yeah. No, that's like our aesthetic, though. We love that. Like, my, the mop te- yeah. mobby head, skinny. Yeah, you're, you're, the type. Oh, yeah, it's I like, didn't. it's like my ideal haircut is like Beatles rubber sole. Like, that's it for me. I'm yeah. like, yes. Yeah. So when you show up with a mop top, Julie mm-hmm. and I both were like, yes. we love well, it. Yeah, well, that was it. And, yeah. And I guess these other people loved it because they cast me. And, um, I remember, oh, I was off mic, sorry. Um, I uh, I remember arriving at the place, at this location of this big old Hollywood mansion. And um, it was Gloria Graham. Yeah. And she was quite, the character was weathered. Mm-hmm. It was that, you know, that comeback, that Betty Davis, okay. um, Joan Crawford, comeback kind of thing you know like we're gonna do a horror movie now and i'm yes. sure it was for the bucks sure because this is an academy award-winning actress who's worked with the some of the greatest actors ever and i knew um after falling in love with that movie being impressed by how hard you could pretend mm-hmm. i i should have continued that on I just got more and more into movies it was everything to me and they used to have this thing called the early show the late show um, where they would show movies and um, it was always a a fight because the early show was on at the same time as the Mickey Mouse Club and American (laughs) Bandstand oh you had to choose and I wanted to watch the movies my sister wanted to watch American Bandstand somebody else wanted to watch the Mickey Mouse I I secretly also wanted to watch the Mickey Mouse Club sure love the Mickey Mouse Club hello yeah oh Annette I kissed the the television screen (gasps) once when Annette (laughs) Funicello was on and I got slapped oh but she was perfect no 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 (laughs) there was no like you shouldn't be punished for that that's no. adorable crave an image yeah oh kissing a television set oh no with a madonna sitting on top of the television oh yeah set. yeah sorry i forgot it's the altar the holy the holy tv altar <laughs> a- italian irish catholic yeah. upbringing Ooh. it was the two radical you know i didn't get in any fights because i could pretend i was irish or pretend i was italian but the mixture of the two of them together and throw some alcohol on that yeah baby because we're both Italian Irish, yeah, that's our thing. Wow. But uh, I, I managed to escape the religion, thankfully. Oh was a no, good part of it. it was a whole deal. But you uh, <laughs> spent some time in a country that's uh, quite religious. Uh, that would be Italy. Oh we wait, I want to tell you the Gloria Graham thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. So, um, 
the first day at lunch, I couldn't say anything, of course. Of and course. I, I was, you know, freaked out that I was going to remember my lines and, <laughs> and be discovered sure. as I shouldn't be there, didn't deserve to be there, didn't look like these other wonderfully professionally Hollywood looking kids. But that's kids. why you were cast. But I guess that's why I was cast. And I had a part. Yeah. I wasn't just one of the people. I, you know, it re- revolved around something that I saw and, you know, whatever. So we're at lunch that day, and she's sitting at a table alone, and all the hot actors and actresses are all at a table. You know, I would imagine nowadays they would all be on their phone tweeting and Correct. Mm-hmm. social meeting, and sure. no one talking to each other. But they're all like, "Where do you do your you get your hair done? And wh- what gym are you at? And all of that kind of stuff." And I see this woman deep into character sitting alone at this whole. Uh, one of those catering tables that you see in, mm-hmm. uh, when they break for lunch. But by herself, not a sole person sitting with her. So I walked up with my tray. I was trembling. And I said, Miss um, Graham, would you mind if I sat here? And she looked up at me, and she gave me this smile that was not the old lady mm. crazy character in this movie. Aww. And she said, I'd be delighted. And I sat down. And I knew my history of movies because... Of the fact that I was uh, hooked really early on about pretending hard, yeah. and she was a really good pretender, mm-hmm. and worked with some of the greatest pretenders of all time. That's great. And I knew the names, and I knew the movies, and I knew the parts that she played, and we talked about that, and and it was lovely, really lovely. Yeah. And um, then. I wish I could remember how many years. I'm so bad at the years thing. But now it's maybe maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. I don't know. How old was I when I made that? I, it's all so foggy now, and I've lied about it so many times. I can't <laughs> keep anything straight. <laughs> um, but um, I saw her many, many years later. There's a wonderful movie called Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Uh-huh. Annette Benning plays Gloria Graham, and she's uh, a magnificent, it's a magnificent performance I'm by sure. Annette, and, um, and uh, a real tribute to Gloria. Um, but And they show what happened in the last years of her life. It's a really wonderful mm. film. Don't miss it if you can rent it or stream mm-hmm. it. It's great. Um, um, anyway, uh, I saw her during this period that's portrayed in the movie. I was in the Beverly Hills Hotel going t- for some function or something, and I was now like the movie star. It was after Breaking Away. I'd won the Academy Award in England. I had been on magazines. I was everywhere. Everybody in this town, Hollywood, that is, knew who I was. I was the bright boy for my moment, mm-hmm. my um, 15 and a half minutes. <laughs> um, but it was longer than that, actually. Mm-hmm. Pretty great. Um, so I, I walk in, you know, and I'm like now wearing nice clothes. and I'm like Upgrade. Yeah, upgrade and feeling every inch of my importantness at that moment. Sure. I was young and... And you should know. be enjoying it, you know. Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> and I see this great blonde now with curly blonde hair sweep into the lobby from the elevator in a white pantsuit so kind of like Diane Keaton before Diane Keaton Mm -hmm. you know that kind of confidence and that ungooched up but totally feminine look Mm -hmm. you know that's 
that's strong but beautiful at the same time rather yeah. than I'm a Christmas present all wrapped, <laughs> all wrapped up you know <laughs> so she comes in with all her strength and beauty and it's Gloria Graham wow. and we practically slam into each other but she's transformed now she looks she looks fantastic and she's glowing and everything and she goes and she goes look at you she said, look what happened to you. And I said, and look at you. And she said, I'm in love. Aww. And we we went to the uh, the, Beverly, the bar in the Beverly Hills Hotel and had a drink. And she told me all about what was happening. And when you go to see the movie, you see the relationship she was having with this younger man, as we find out. Oh. She had a pension for younger men. Yeah. In fact, a very um, scandalous part that really ended her career here was that she uh, married a famous director uh, um, and um, his stepson, I mean, his oldest child was not a child. It was a full-grown man. Okay. Uh. And he was always going on location and her and the her stepson, although there was no mothering involved in it, okay, had a relationship and ended up being married and having children together and had a long relationship together. Interesting. And, but that was a little bit too much for Los Angeles to swallow at that point. Sure. And she ended up in the horror movie that I was in mm-hmm. and, um, and then uh, doing theater in England and the environs for the rest of her life, mm-hmm. doing the parts that she always wanted to do, doing all the Tennessee Williams, all the Beckett and all the stuff. The good she, stuff. Yeah, the really yeah. good stuff. Yeah. But she's doing it in little towns. Okay. She's doing, you know, but she was an actor through and through. Mm-hmm. I mean, she also was a movie star, mm-hmm. but she was an actor. And it was so nice to have that taste of that world um, become a part of my life mm-hmm. because um, seeing her that day made everything different because we both realized we were different ages and we were different parts but the thing that united us was the fact that we were actors i think there was also some flirting going on from both ends definitely but i think there's if we're honest with ourselves and not prurient about it Mm -hmm. sex is involved in everything that we do so you know there's that's what attraction is that's part of the definition of attraction And and it doesn't have to be acted upon it can be just celebrated in the subtlest of ways mm-hmm I like that. Celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take it. So, uh, can we move on to? No. <laughs> let's talk about. Let's go there. Who to what? Uh, to 1972, uh, where you went to film with Fellini for Roma. Oh, I didn't go to Rome to film with Fellini. But I was picked up on the street. <laughs> um, uh, I want to hear that story. Yeah. How does um, that happen? That's everybody's dream, right? I went to visit a dear friend. Uh, actually. I had no money. I was um, seeing this uh, friend who was a little bit older, um, who some of the lines were blur- blurred sometimes. Uh-huh. Okay. But we were basically friends, mm-hmm. but, you know, friends with benefits. Friends with benefits, and, yeah. But in the beginning, it, no, it, it was, yeah, anyway, it was, when you're young, it's a whole different thing. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, uh, I was under the spell. Yes. This is a young person that mm-hmm. had been to Europe before. She was a very um, self-possessed person who could survive anything, mm-hmm. I think. Um, she was attractive in an unusual way. And um, 
I just, she, I just, all of her stories I was mesmerized by. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of a life like this before. And she said, and I'm going back. And, you know, it's not that she was a grifter, but, um, you know, we're young people. And you just, you know, like you work in a restaurant for two weeks and then you get fired. And yeah. then maybe you're delivering packages or unloading trucks. I did that for yeah. a while. You how, know. how many jobs have we had, Terry, collectively? I've like, had probably over 60. Oh, yeah. Washing yeah, dishes in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. I'm writing a book about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you know. Or the cars broke down, so you've got to get a real fucking job right. to get the car fixed so you can go to the auditions Absolutely. and pay the money for the answering machine. And, so you know, glamorous, all isn't it? Oh, it's real glamorous. <laughs> it's like putting yourself through college, but there's no curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> there's Correct. No, yeah. There's no form. There's no guidance. Uncharted. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of temptations. Um, uh -huh. Anyway, uh, be that as it may, um, sh I, sh I bought, a there used to be this thing called bucket flights and there were a couple of hundred dollars to go to Europe. And it was a, these old planes that people would charter, you would make these clubs of all these people that would buy in and buy the thing, and then the plane would be chartered, and they were usually old, dirty planes. Uh -huh. But, you know, you were so excited. You were going to Europe for $120. You were thrilled. And I, I remember I got a tax return back from one of my menial jobs, um, and it was just enough to buy a ticket, uh -huh. and I didn't tell her that I was, I was on the flight. I got it a one-way ticket on the flight that she was on. And I went there. And I think I had $79 in my pocket left over. And she, there was a, uh, there's like a chain link fence when you arrive and she said, I'm going first, you be as slow as you can. And she got through everything and she actually passed me money through the chain link fence so that I would have enough money because they don't let you into a country if you only have a one-way ticket. Mm. That's a for sure you're going to go to the little room. You right. know what I mean? And be talked yeah. to and yep. patted down. She had a round-trip ticket out of one way. So she passed me her money after she was cleared, but they weren't mm -hmm. suspect of her. Right. And then I had enough money to buy a ticket back and then they let me in the country. Right. So it was that tenuous, but... I didn't care. I was fearless. It was uh, the late... God, what years was this? The early 72. 70s? Yeah. This movie is 72, so... Oh, but, uh, yeah, but before... before that. I, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, it didn't dawn on me that I shouldn't be traveling around the world with $79 and a, no. a duffel bag, you know, and no reservations, no, wow. no anything. Youth. Yeah, yeah youth. youth, youth. But also youth during then, you know, pre-9-11, pre-all sure. of this paranoia and the... Um, it was different. We traveled up. Julia and I met on our way to England. On a plane. On an airplane in uh, the, the end of the 90s. Um, and that was very similar. It was mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. wild and wonderful. And I backpacked Europe and did that with very yeah. little money and yeah, yeah. just traveled around. And just seeing who and what you can find. Yeah. Well, I figured I was broke and unemployed in Hollywood, so I might as well be broke and unemployed in a really cute place. Exactly yeah. right. You know, <laughs> and it worked out for me. So anyway, I get there. I have this whole adventure with my friend that I was visiting on a film set and 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 my friend, my traveling companion, Jeannie, mm -hmm. if you're out there, hello. Um, <laughs> Hi, Jeannie. Uh, and we ended up hitchhiking from Strasbourg to Rome oh. with um, 
these two young men, um, one ended up being coming a photographer of note named Christopher Makos, did a lot of photography for Warhol and stuff. Mm. And um, so we hitchhiked with these people. That was all adventure and stuff. But we ended up in Rome very, very late. We were at a little place where you can buy a bowl of spaghetti at midnight, you know, and a a glass of really cheap red wine and practically a jar, um, you know, for two lira or something like that. Sounds perfect. And we're eating that and uh, sitting there. Me and Jeannie are sitting with you two. No idea of where we're going to sleep. Um, And I had a big army duffel bag with all my crap in it. And um, I see this woman walk past barefoot in a practically translucent caftan, or at least in my mind it was Mm -hmm. so sheer and so diaphanous. And part of my um, fascination with movies also led to a big... uh, I was intensely visual, and I was excited by photography. Mm -hmm. And National Geographic, and of all things Vogue and Bizarre, were... Because they were... Uh, they were showcasing casing Irving Penn, Richard Avedon, some of the greatest photographers that have ever lived and ever will live um, for that kind of photography mm-hmm. before digital. Um, so their images there were always important to me. So I happened to know who this woman was, and it was this woman called Verushka. If you don't know who it is, Google her. It's well worth it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't believe that she was like two feet away from me. And uh, but, you know, scared shitless. I didn't say anything. And these people that I was with had no idea. It's just something that I knew, even though I was tremendously young and should have no I no notion of this person. But mm-hmm. indeed, I did. Um, and uh, I waited too long. But then I decided I had to follow her. And she's walking barefoot in Rome on cobblestones <laughs> at midnight. You know, I'm like, it's my first moment in Rome. I'm like, wow. So I followed her, and they didn't know where I went. I could have been going to take a piss in the alley next door of the little place that we were eating. Wow. Um, And leaving my duffel bag behind, following this woman that I don't know. She's going down these streets. They're all cul-de-sacs. You know, they're all like dead ends and Uh weird little things, and they get narrower and narrower, and you don't know where you are, and suddenly I lose her. She's gone. I'm wandering around. Wandering around for five minutes, completely lost, don't know how to get back to where I was going, turned down this street, and all these lights are on. They're filming a movie, and ah. it looked like a really cheap movie to me because everything looked really artificial and really fake. And there was a parade, and there was a giant pig that was stuffed with chickens, and there were obvious whores hanging out of the windows and waving and yelling Giuseppe and all the, and people like just this big kind of parade and it looked garish to me and I thought oh what's this you know like, you know my little I was throwing shade at it I guess I was going what the hell is this <laughs> and I'm watching but it's still a movie so I'm watching the lights are there and they've got a crane and somebody's on the top of the crane looking through the camera and all things are happening and there's lots of people working and my friend catches up to me Jeannie and I never told anybody except like her and maybe nobody else when I was back in Hollywood I was oh, I would because we'd talk about, I'd talk about movies to anybody, uh-huh. even if they weren't interested. <laughs> that sounds and, like me. <laughs> yeah. And um, I always thought Fellini would understand me. He would give me a job in a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I see, 
you know, things like Armacord, or not sure. Armacord, the movies before that, like Eight and a Half and those things. Yes. So, but, you know, that's like a a stoned boast, you know, like, I'm going to work with Fellini someday, you know, right. and you're like a broke kid in Hollywood. That's, <laughs> Name know, it and claim washing it. Washing dishes and <laughs> has, you know, been in a couple of horror movies and that's it, you know. I'm going to, you know. So um, I'm standing there behind this rope line that they have big Italian goon kind of bodyguard guys every, I don't know, 10 feet or so holding this rope to keep the people back, very high tech. Uh-huh. Um, and he... Uh, and Jeannie catches up to me, dragging her suitcase and my duffel bag, and she's pissed. Um, and she said, well, there he is, you know. And I said, there who is? And she said, your whole big dream person is right over there. What are you going to do now? There. Because she was pissed at me. And meanwhile, she's a, she was a, as I said, she was a, a real pretty woman, with unusual, beautiful kind of features and well endowed, and that's all. You know, she she always had trouble on the streets of Rome, as I found out the next day and the day after that, because the men can be quite aggressive, yeah. at least back then. They still are. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, and uh, I said, she said, "What are you going to do now?" And she dared me, and I looked at him and I thought, "He's like ten feet away from me." I will never get meet a casting person. I will never have an agent. I'm a fucking hippie is what I am, a homeless hippie on the street. Where am I going to meet this guy? And he's right there. So I said to Jeannie, I said, talk to the guard next to you. And when she turned even the slightest bit of attention on the guard, he was all, hello. Uh (laughs) And I slipped under the rope and I walked in a straight line from where I was to where he was. And I walked right into a scene that was shooting. (gasps) And it's not like I was a neophyte and didn't know. I didn't know. But because it was all in Italian and stuff. But. It was also the do or die moment. You know what I mean? I was so caught up in what my agenda was that I wouldn't have even known if there, if a, an explosion had gone <laughs> off. You know, I just had one, okay, here's me, here's them, Singular go there. Inge- objective. Yeah, and yeah. I ducked yes. under the rope at the only time I could, and I did it, and, I, and he yells, Gorda, Gorda, and he's, I, I, if I ever write the book, I have to find out. He had a very famous AD, first AD, he would always call out when there was a problem, Fabrizio or whatever the name was, okay. you know, all the time. And so after he cut it, and he was sitting on the, I think he was sitting on the crane, Fellini. He had the hat, the iconic hat. And he, they lowered him off the thing, and he's screaming and yelling at the, his first assistant, and it's all about me. And next thing I know, two bodyguard kind of guys, giant people, grab me on either side of me, take me for a little walk, and deposit me in this real dead end that only had one entrance and exit. And from the entrance to this cul-de-sac, all the movie light was pouring in, because there's no street lights in Rome, really. So all the movie lights are pouring into this really dark kind of alley, one-way alley, not even a street. You know, they're Mm -hmm. barely streets sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was going to be arrested, or I don't know what I was going to be. And about 20 minutes later, in the light, 
sort of almost a half a block away from me because I'm now cowering in the darkness, I see the iconic shadow with the cape and that hat and the whole thing walking to me. You can't see any details, just Mm -hmm. the silhouette because he's backlit, dramatically, you know, intensely backlit with movie lights. And um, uh, he comes towards me in one look at me and he knows to speak English because I'm either American or English. And I'm full on hippie. I've got hair down past my shoulders, you know. And um, he looks at me really mean. And he goes, and I'm freaked at this point. I'm like jelly. I'm shivering and (laughs) and uh, but trying to keep it together. You know, this is my good side. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, he he looks at me and he's really furious. He goes, "What is so important?" that you had to ruin my movie. Wow. My movie. Yes. So I said, Mr. Fellini? (laughs) (laughs) It's worse than going in front of the principal. My voice is uh, like now, you know, I have no more testicles left. (laughs) I'm talking like that. (laughs) Mr. Fellini, I I had a dream about you and and being with you. and, And he said, what was in this dream? And I said, oh, there's stones and colors and clowns and all these things. And he said, colors? Clowns? (laughs) He said, and now running down the alley is my friend Jeannie. Mm -hmm. And she catches up because she's, you know, certain that I'm going to be arrested. Plus always being one of those get in there girls, Mm -hmm. our Jeannie. Um, it's Fellini I'm talking to in a one-on-one. Yeah. She's right. going to be there. You know? right. <laughs> Get in there, Jeannie. Yes. You, know? and you need a good wing woman sometimes, too. Get in there. Even when you don't want a wing woman. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Anyway, <laughs> I was working it myself. Uh-huh. And he looks at me, and she's out of breath, and she runs up, and she's all like, <gasps> you know, hi, kind of. And he goes, are you an actor to me? Uh-huh. And I took a long beat, and I said, And she said, I'm an actress. Uh-huh. And he never even looked at her. Right. And he said to me, you come back here tomorrow night when the sun goes down. <gasps> Wear the same clothes. Oh, my. So I went back to the piazza the next night after we found a, I don't know even where we slept that night. I don't know if I did. Maybe I slept in the car. And I had a job for the next I don't know, three weeks, maybe three and a half weeks in different scenes that he would put me in. I had one of my own brief, but, you know, starting a close up and panning out and I'm talking to these hippie girls on the street and it pans from me to Gore Vidal to a scene with Gore Vidal. So I get to work with him, but the cool part about it was he, where his chair was on the set, that was roped off. And in that roped off area, he had what was called the dream people. Uh, I sh- I'll have to find out the translation for that in Italian. Mm. Um, and I was one of the dream people. Oh. I guess that's part of me saying I had a dream about you. Or, you know, I said key you words. You said the right words. Yeah, I didn't know, but yeah. I said the right words. And you had to be there every night because you were in his imagination. Oh. Because when you see scenes that Fellini has like in the street with mm-hmm. diff- a bunch of people, not like a one person talking to one person, um, he handpicks everything in that scene. Wow. Each extra, the p- 
the political posters that you see on the wall, which ones are tearing, torn down, which ones are brand new. I want that car moved in and put there. He really paints it. Yeah, he's pretty meticulous. And the dream people have to be there in case he needs, I suppose, that color or that brush stroke or whatever the hell it is. And we were different from the actors and the extras. We were like the, the other thing. Wow. And we had to be there whether we worked or not. And we had to be in that area that was roped off. And that's the area that he went in between shots to figure his thing and to look at his script and, you know, think about the next shot that was coming up. And then with me, he was very, um, he was very, very affectionate to me. He was very, um, in a kind of fatherly way. He um, used to talk to me in Italian. Mm-hmm. And I knew from my my Italian upbringing that some of the words he was saying were um, affectionate words, but nothing sexual, nothing mm-hmm. untoward, mm-hmm. nothing um, pedophilic about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wasn't a child anyway. But it it wasn't like that at all. And he used to use me. He would take me and set me in a couple, a few times. This happened in the middle of the ta- of a piazza or a street or a scene, and then he'd build it around. Me, I was a, a placeholder, I think. Huh. And then he'd have me come out and he'd let me look into the camera at what he just took an hour and a half to create with extras and set dressing and, you know, whatever it was on the street because it was all shot at night. The whole movie was shot at night. He only shot it at night. He slept and edited in the daytime okay. and wrote things because he took it from the dreams he had the night before. That's why he wanted to be surrounded by wow. the dream people. That's amazing. That's beautiful. So I don't think I ever described it in that much detail to anyone before. But um, that was there. I, one For three nights, I was on the back of a motorcycle because there's these motorcycles driving all over Paris. And I said, can you ride? And I said, no. So get on the back of it. And then in this scene and that scene, he would put me in. But he also used me as this place setter. And he would come. He would motion that I would come, and he put his. He, I'd look, be allowed to look through the camera, which wow. was a big honor. Yeah. And then he put his arm around me and he'd go, "Azione," <laughs> and he'd watch it. And he'd say, "Oh, my bambini," or whatever the hell he was saying to me in Italian. And it, I guess I was some kind of I don't know comfort or I don't know yeah. what I was. But you know, night shoots, especially long night shoots, get Tedious. odd and. Not tedious, but you're in a whole thing. You sleep in the daytime right. and you work at night when no one's there. It's a kind of a vampirish thing, and you take sure. your pleasures and you take inspiration from what you can because it's a very hand-picked thing, the night. Yeah. The night is not random. No. Well, how incredible for you to have a dream about this filmmaker <laughs> and then not only, you know, get to be in his film, but yeah. also get to be special to him. Yeah, that yeah, must yeah. have been, you know, yeah. and, and I'm sure for you very affirming to be like, this is what I should be doing, right? This is something that now acting is, is you're moving in this kind of forward, happy, positive direction. Well, it's now that we're talking about it in this way, but in I never thought right. about it. Um, he ended up testifying for me because I was... I did time in an Italian prison. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> I've never heard this story. And he, um, oh yeah, after working for Fellini, um, I was, Rome is an amazingly, in those days anyway, it was an amazingly small town. 
Because once you get past the tourists and the people that are there seasonally and stuff, mm -hmm. you start to notice the people that work there. You start to identify with the person that works in the bodega. You know who the actors are. You know who the artists are. You know that this guy sings on the street corner every night in this one place. You know, it, it gets to be recognized. The people get to be recognizable. Mm -hmm. And I was considered a Fellini's favorite and an, uh, a young... I guess whatever the equivalent would be in those days in that language, hot actor. Yeah. And I was a cast in a, a, a big role in another big production of uh, Oscar Wilde's Salome. Yeah. Yes. And I played the page of Herodias. And um, that's a story until itself. We won't go into that <laughs> okay. today. Okay. But I ended up doing time in Regina Celli um, the same time that Pierre Clementi was incarcerated all those years ago. And, Wow. He stood up for me in prison and saved my ass, quite literally. Um, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> amazing. Well, the amazing part of that is that many, many years later, after Breaking Away opened up in Paris, um, I was walking down the streets in Paris. I was getting ready to do another movie, and I would always go to a, a town I didn't know to study my script because no phone calls, no friends. You know, you're isolated in a town you, you don't know, in the language you don't know. And mm -hmm. all there is is the script and and new things, which is what a movie is going to be every time. Mm -hmm. And um, I was walking down the street. And, um, it was funny. You know, the outdoor cafes in Paris, they're quite elaborate. They can be quite elaborate. Mm -hmm. And I, I was walking down the street, and at one point, Paloma Picasso, who I knew from my Halston days, uh -huh. when she was before she was a, a Tiffany girl, and before she had a job or knew what she was doing, except licensing her father's stuff, right. um, we know, knew from the scene, so mm -hmm. to speak, from borrowing clothes and stuff like that. Um, but now I was coming back in this new incarnation as a movie star who, right down the street, there was a big sign on the Champs-Élysées because they love movies there with my picture on the mm -hmm. bike and all that stuff, and it was called Bando Catra. And, you know... <laughs> I was uh, in my shit. And they called me over and, oh, it's Dennis Christopher. Like, you know, like the Cinderella story, the guy that once, like, swept up the stuff. Right. The, the, the stuff at Halston's or I'm on my knees, you know, doing a fitting on Jackie Onassis or whatever it was, is suddenly now I'm the guy, you know what I mean, that they recognize that they're going, this is our friend. Uh -huh. I wasn't exactly their friend before, but they did recognize me. It was her, Carl Lagerfeld, and... I think it was one um, Fred Hughes who worked for Andy Warhol was one of the publishers of Interview Magazine. Wow. And it was really cool. So that was an ego boost. So I'm like doing the whole, um, you know, John Travolta walk and staying alive <laughs> yeah. only in Paris. And I'm a movie star. I'm not a guid. You That's know a what good, I mean? It's a good feeling, though. It's a good yeah, feeling. Like, you know, I just got lauded by the Paloma Picasso. And <laughs> yeah. <coughs> anyway. Um, then I go to the cafe where I'm going to go and read my script and be alone. And I see sitting on the further place out, like where no one sits, trying not to be noticed, is a guy that kind of looks almost homeless. Granted, it's 20 years later. And he's buying the cheapest cheese and baguette sandwich that there is on the menu. And the house wine is, again, served in like a jar, mm -hmm. not the kind that's served in a glass. They don't <laughs> even bother with washing of the glass. And 
so I could tell I've had that meal the first time I was yeah. in Europe. You know what I mean? When I was uh, when I was a hippie. Yeah. And it's Pierre Clementi. <gasps> oh. So I said to the guy, I said, "Come over here. I, the bottle of your best champagne, and I want him to have the special of uh-huh. the night. The, you know, and you must not tell him." who it is if he asks if he presses you say the person already left okay and it was sent over to his table and he didn't eat the rest of that cheese sandwich (laughs) he probably put it in his pocket i guess but he had this he drank the champagne he had the thing and he was just treated like the movie star he was before he went to prison and spent a lot of time in there and uh, it was an unfair arrest. I, mm-hmm. I knew that, but mm-hmm. that's because I knew him in prison. Right. So um, it was a nice way to go back, to pay him back. I'm sure he wouldn't have recognized me, and he didn't. I went up to him at, at the end, and I just I said, um, thank you. You showed a kindness to me and Regina Celli, and I just wanted to thank you. And he... His, uh, you know, he was like, "What?" And I said, "You have a very good night," because I didn't want to encroach. Yeah, and I was dressed real nicely. You know what I mean? It was just the yeah. whole, and it was kind of like a respect thing too, because he was quite an actor, um, and quite a celebrated and a very talented actor. And he lost his life taking the rap for his pregnant wife mm. or his pregnant girlfriend, because in those days they put drug offenders in jail forever. Well, at least we're anyway, making strides a little bit in little that in better. 2020. A little bit. We're getting sidetracked. Let's go on to stuff that you all know about. Um, people listening this was to amazing. No, this this is, is why we do podcasts. I know you. Yeah. whatever you said earlier about them. This Our is the gold. No, that wasn't a bad thing. No, no, I love you. It's the no, gold, though. But it's it, the gold. It is. I and just see everybody out there, if they're listening to it, Googling these names that they've never they heard be, of before. They should be. But isn't that, isn't that a great thing? I mean, and that's what this, this podcast is about, is to show people and introduce them to movies they don't know and people they don't know. And of course, like learning and, and the great things about movies is this infinite, right? That there's always more to learn. So you can just kind of go down any rabbit hole you want and, yeah. you know, and yeah, pick yeah. where you want to yeah. learn. Yeah. Um, and if it comes from Dennis Christopher, it's got to be good. That's what I've learned. Um, so <laughs> let's, He's a real uh, movie guy who loves movies. Yeah. I will take the advice. <laughs> no, and that's what's great about it. And, you know, you have uh, – so you star in Breaking Away. Uh, you win a BAFTA. Mm. Pretty cool. Mm. Um, oh, I did, wish I was there. You weren't there for it. No, okay. I was filming Fade to Black. They came and filmed me. Oh, okay. Um, in character, saying thank you to the <laughs> Queen or whoever I had to thank, <laughs> saying what an honor it was, and all I wanted to do was be there. Yeah. But you know, I was starring in a friggin' movie that I put together with bubble gum and. And mm-hmm. scotch tape. <laughs> so how did, how did you go? So was was it literally like the next offer you got after Breaking Away? How did you decide no, to I go from... No, I got in a terrible accident after Breaking Away opened. There was a whole story about my father and my family and everything that's quite great, but we'll do it on the next one. Okay. Um, that's a deal. But it was a big deal when that came out in New York. Um, I went... Me and my brother... My brother had come up... F- or my brother was living back east then. Anyway, we ended up, they ended up, it ended up being decided that I was going to go water skiing because I would just love it. Okay. And I think it's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) I dislocated my shoulder trying to water ski. Don't I know it. See, I had done a little movie before Breaking Away called California Dreaming where I, where I played a surfer and I personally don't know how to swim or didn't then. 
Um, I played uh, Olympic runner yeah, in Chariots, Chariots of, of Fire. Chariots of Fire, yes. You know, really, <laughs> really. Um, but those, I have this sports cred that I have not earned, <laughs> that I've acted my way into, that I pretended Acting. really, really hard. Yeah. I believed it. Yeah, I, yeah, apparently, yeah. yeah. And I hit my mark every time as well. So <laughs> then you've done your to job. Be said for yeah, exactly. Um, uh, anyway. Um, I guess the collective decision that I would now be brilliant at water skiing and I somehow, because I've always been ashamed of the fact, the secret shame, that you know I went to square dancing, dancing lessons rather than learn how to play basketball, you know, in the, in the sure. things that you could pick in high school. I mean, sorry, but that was just me. Now it's kind of all right to be whatever yeah, you are, I suppose. Anyway, um uh, where was I? Talking about water skiing. Oh, oh, oh. And I, I'm water skiing, and like I'm barely holding on, and I'm water skiing on this little crappy motorboat that a, a 14-year-old kid is driving, yeah, and my brother's in it, and suddenly I'm like, who are these people that I've actually entrusted myself to? And he starts t- turning into wakes, and when you turn into a wake, the boat goes up, in yes. the air for a minute, but the skier keeps going forward. He'd plunk down in the water, but I'd be d- unbelievably close to the boat. And one of the times that he did it, I don't know how I was staying up there, um, I smacked into the back of the boat and could have had my leg ripped apart by the, the propeller. really crappy outboard motor that was oh. on it. And they pulled me up out of the water, and my leg was akimbo oh, no. and I just started bashing it against the side of the little boat that we were in to make it because I'm a visual guy if I can make it look like it's not as bad as it was then it wouldn't be no and I had to do it like about I don't know five or six times like really bash it oh. my brother thought I was losing my mind he was trying to like stop me from doing it then once we finally get out of the lake I'm carried up the hill and I'm put in the back of a pickup truck. Oh, no. That is the worst. Going to the hospital, which was an hour away. <gasps> and when we get there, the doctor gets, goes, after waiting in the emergency room in a strange town, you know, um, the doctor goes, who said this? Where have you been? Who said this? Said, and I said, uh, nobody. I, I said, I put it back together. Everything was sticking out because it was broken in like three different places. Oh, my goodness. And um, he said, well, thank God that you did because it would have set by now badly with, in the break. And we would have had to break your leg again. Oh, wow. Yep. But the fact that you got it back into alignment when it was still fresh, I said, it, I didn't think of that. That was like an animal doing something to itself. I just, you know, it yeah. was instinct. And so that's why I did Fade to Black with a... a plastic cast on my leg Wow! Um, so you know I, there was recovery time where I was in traction for like a month and a half wow and then I was in a wheelchair in fact my big people magazine article about hot young actor <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair oh. <laughs> so it went from you know breaking away on the bike to breaking away on the wheelchair <laughs> to really breaking everything away to really breaking it all away <laughs> so it was a speed bump that was hard to get over at first yeah but they came to me with Fade to Black. I read it while I was recuperating. I thought it was the most fascinating idea for yeah. a movie ever. Such a great concept. The scenes, I did not like the way the dialogue was. There was yeah. a, some subplots that I didn't 
um, appreciate. Um, I was not going to blow my next movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was important that I follow. It was something important. And this idea was important, but the execution, the script I was reading was not. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said no, and I kept saying no until the money got to be so much money that I never heard of before in my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. And my agents were just shaking their head, and they said, name above the title, this much money, because in those days, if you made your price, then the next movie, you got your price and, and a more. little bit more. Yep. And you just built it through a career. Exactly and right. And that's how you built a career, and that's how you have a nice living. If you're making people millions of dollars with the work that you did, of course. Um, so um, I finally did it, but I was a pain in the ass because I wanted everything upgraded. I met with the director, and I I realized that he was pushed into rewriting the script every time somebody optioned optioned it, mm. and it you know it had gone around and around, mm-hmm. and. Um, with this new computerized thing, people just take scenes out and put them in, and they, there's no flow to it anymore. When I, I wrote a couple of scripts, and you have to retype the whole damn thing, you know yeah. what I mean? So you get to reread and re, you know, you keep, you keep stirring the pot of the mm-hmm. script until it's right. But now you just drop out a scene and insert a scene, and there's no flow. You're not reviewing your work. The whole process of script writing has been truncated by this and not even noticed as a reason why things don't flow anymore. Mm-hmm. People don't even know mm-hmm. that they fucked their own script by radically inserting scenes and not... Rereading how it yeah goes. yeah because yeah, suddenly there's like some big reveal and you go who's that character where did they come from right. what why are they revealing that now why mm-hmm. didn't they foreshadow that before mm-hmm. it's cheesy it's it's disrespectful of your audience this computer writing I believe mm-hmm. anyway um, so there um, and it turned out that all of Vernon's ideas were spot on. But they were so rewritten. Like mm-hmm. the first time he's alone at home in the house after he um, gets rid of this woman that's his aunt mm-hmm. that is really his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is an element that I added. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, he He's alone for the first time in his life. And he's in love with Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. So in the script... He puts on some old-timey tango music or some old-timey music because they were so cheap they wouldn't buy the rights to any music. <laughs> okay. And and take a card a life-size cardboard cutout of Marilyn Monroe and dance around the room with her. Okay. And I said, no. "What the fuck is that? What are you trying to say with that scene, Vernon?" And he mm-hmm. goes, "You know, he's infatuated with Marilyn Monroe, and he's alone for the first time. And the woman's not going to barge into his room, and you know, he's he's really alone." And I said, "Well, Vernon, I know what I would do with a life-size picture of Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. if I was alone for the first time in my room mm-hmm. and I was obsessed with her." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yeah, what?" And I said, "Oh, come on." <laughs> It wouldn't be dancing with a paper doll. No, use a little <laughs> imagination, my friend. And yeah. he said, you'd do that? And I said, in a yeah. fucking heartbeat, I'd do it. Yeah. You know, we have to stage it right and everything and stuff. And, you know, 
And then we added a little plot point with after he ejaculates, he apologizes. Yeah. Oh no! While he's ejaculating, so he says, "You bitch, you bitch!" Like, like the movie company kind of did with her. And then after he comes, he goes, "I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I used you." So we were. I was trying to inject a little Hollywood deepness yeah. wherever I could do it. Next you layer. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. In case you were interested in in the next layer. We mm-hmm. are. Because Breaking Away had layers. Yes. You could say it's about a, a kid that wants to be a bicycle racer, but it was so many layers of yeah. a class struggle, the struggle with his father, right. the, the father and mother having another kid or not having another kid, the tight fucking bonds with his buds. You know, yeah. he loved them more than anything else, and they would have done nothing the rest of their lives as long as they could stay together, and we all know that feeling. Yeah. Sure. But there's also the element of being obsessed with other with the foreign and well, he had to the be bigger idea so wanted to be something more than just this the birth of imagination mm-hmm. in a kid that's stuck in the middle of america uh, you know so but the, we love the you layering, bloomington indiana the, la- the layering the la- well i don't mean st- i mean no i, know, I, mean, I get it I, no 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 i know you get it but yeah. i said it i mean stuck in the film in this no yes. in your life when yeah. you get, when you don't know what to do um, I don't mean stuck in a place sure. because you often have to leave the place that you were born in. Even if you were born in New York City, you have to leave it. Mm-hmm. Or if you're born in a little town in Indiana, you have to leave it to get some perspective, perspective on your sure. life. Yep. So, so um, anyway, I, I would on. like to talk to you about this might come as a surprise. Um, a Stephen King related. Oh. Um, I know. Me and Stephen King, you know. Yeah, we're yeah. Do you like Stephen King? Do you a even little, like Stephen King? A little. Yeah. Stephen who? I know. <gasps> I'll hail the king. Oh. Um, so 1990, uh, so this, you know, you in a way, are part of why I am obsessed with Stephen King now. Uh, I saw the 1990 version and was obsessed and read the book and then never stopped. Oh, once you read that book, it's yes. hard to come back. I mean, it's hard not to realize the significance of this man, Stephen King, and and the contribution, because, yeah, he's... (laughs) It's just so deep, the way he writes. You talk about layering stuff. Stuff that... I mean, there's things in that book, if you tried to tell somebody that didn't read the book what happened in that book, Uh, they'd say, what? That's skeevy, or what are you talking about? Really? That's in that... But when it's you got re- everything. But when you, when you read, read it, it, it's significant. You yeah. know, I mean, and and the idea that anybody tried to bring that particular Stephen King book to the screen is yes, insane. Is sure, it's insane. insane. <laughs> um, and with my character, it was really insane because of the sexual complexity of right. this particular character. Um, and King knew enough just to leave it kind of where it was mm-hmm. as a. Um, ever-evolving mystery right. sort of think what you want of Eddie, a kind of non-binary thing that was going on, which has really resonated with the... Uh, I find my... I was telling you earlier, I have a whole new um, perspective to film young people and life from my involvement with the world of fan fiction mm-hmm. that rises up around Stephen King, around yeah. this particular story. Now, we know that Losers, the Losers the, Club, the four losers in Breaking Away, yeah, it's a theme, sure. okay? And it's a theme where you commit to each other when society is kind of rejecting you. Yeah. yeah. And under, you form your own underdogs. family, yeah. you form your own group, you form, you know, 
So that's a universal theme. So there's no no sort of unique brilliance into tapping into that. But King went so, so deep. Mm -hmm. And he says a lot about love in that, but he also says a lot about fear in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just an amazing uh, work of art. It really is, that book. And, um, and again, for me, it's opened up this whole new chapter for me because the young people that responded to the miniseries that I did, the first visualization of this book, um, and now the young people nowadays, they went back to find out. They're very into finding the origins of things, young people, I find. And my be. exposure to young people is primarily through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, because uh, I don't believe in Instagram. <laughs> um, but Instagram believes in you. No, yeah. No, I hope they have no idea who I am. <laughs> Sorry. No. We've definitely posted a lot of pictures of you on Instagram. So, well, yeah, yeah. But sorry, not sorry. It's, you know, just know they're being sold somewhere in some country oh, yeah, where yeah. they take advantage of people. Anyway, um, anyway, whatever. Um, uh, Facebook, I find kind of. I like Jack. Jack, from Twitter, the guy that made Twitter. Oh, I didn't know he you. tries really hard. Okay. And uh, anyway, all these people came alive to me on Twitter. These young people that have worked on fan fiction and fan art, and I love their perspective. I'm really impressed with their imaginations. I hope they can pull their imaginations away from the machine. And take their imagination into the world. Yeah. Um, because the machine is also a trap. Yeah. Um, drugs are a great thing. Some drugs are a great thing for opening your mind. At least they were in the LSD days and the peyote sure. days. I'm not talking about crack and... No. The psychedelic stuff. Yeah. That could open your mind. But it was also a trap. Right. right. And anything that can open you up can capture you huh. and ruin you. And and what you love, you should always have a watchful eye on what you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, love is one thing and obsession is something else. I know we use that word because you want to incorporate passion right. into your love. Um, but sometimes to young people, I just got into a thing the other day on Twitter where people say, I would die for you and I'm pushing you out of the way and all these like all these bully things and like I would take a bullet for you and mm-hmm. I would pull the trigger and don't pull the trigger and they're all just expressions by very, very young people. And at one point I just said, Hey, don't tweet me this crap. Yeah. I don't want no bullets, I don't want no bullying, I don't want no anything. I don't like it. And it's an insult to people that actually have suffered abuse. Mm-hmm. So, And I wrote, words are powerful. Yeah. Clean it up. Yeah. So, you know, the word obsession, I don't think any words are negative. Any words, any word that you could, the worst word that you can think of, I don't think it's negative. I think it's a word. Mm-hmm. I think it's only a collection of letters. It's what you put into that word. Yes. And words will hold power. Yes. They're like receptacles. And we got to clean up our language Mm -hmm. because young people hearing us say things like, excuse me, words like obsession, that's the same thing that Hinckley used. It's the same thing that, you know, 
unfortunately, obsession is not the name of a perfume anymore. Mm-hmm. It puts guns in the hands of people. Right. So I think we have to clean it up for the younger people mm-hmm. who aren't as familiar with words as we older people are. Yeah. And it's important to clean it up because I've also noticed something about these younger people. It's a blessing, but it's also a curse. The negative portrayal of it would be they're thin-skinned. The positive portrayal of it would be they notice everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard not to. And they take it to heart. Um, Sometimes to survive, you can't take it personally. You must be aware of the tyranny or the mistake or whatever it is. But that's all. Just be aware of it. Because once you start reacting to it, it's got you. Sure. It's fucking got you. And that's the real awful power of words. So we have to clean it up for young people right. because they're really impressionable. Sure. Um, I know that sounds corny. And no, but it's it's true. And I think, you know, but you are in a u- unique situation where you're getting to inspire people, not only with your past work, but with your your present what you're posting and what you're saying and you're encouraging people and that you know you get a lot of I know you have a lot of Twitter fans who will do art for you and and mm. do pictures and things and like that's such a, a lovely tribute and you know and I think it's interesting to see how your career probably comes back around and you say okay this is breaking away was 40 40 years last year and 2019 and now faded black is 40 years this year and do you see when you have these big anniversaries you get these new crowds of people who come in to watch um and i think your career is so varied because you have someone like you have like me you have the fade to black fans you have the bicyclists who love breaking away you have the horror fans who love it you have the chariots of fire d space nine the star trek you know you have all of these all the shows coming together in this you run every show yeah but i think (laughs) i'm sure that every fan base is different but they all have this one thing in common and is you well there's a there's an advantage It's not a financial one, but there's an advantage to not being a name above the title star because there's an ownership that people feel with my work Mm -hmm. that they're entitled to because you have to find my work. Mm -hmm. It's not pushed down everybody's throats. I'm not in the hot. I used to be in the hottest movies. Thank God for Tarantino, for (laughs) Quentin. I was in a hot movie in the past 10 years. Django. Um, And it was all his doing. He, he wanted me. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that script was on my doorstep. Um, so God bless. Great film. I'm just saying, um, I just lost the whole friggin' point. I'm so sorry. Uh, we're talking about fan bases from all different oh, kinds. Oh, oh, you have to find me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not in the latest, hottest thing. So just that very effort makes you feel ownership. I know that that's how I feel about artists, whether they be actors or painters or writers. It can be real obscure people that no one knows, but they're this, they've, they're, they hold importance to me just like you know a Bobby De Niro or someone Mm -hmm. like that they hold as much importance maybe a touch more because I had to find that person Mm -hmm. and they belong to me now they're my gem that I share with other people like you have to watch that movie um film stars don't die in Liverpool you have to watch this movie or that movie you have to see eight and a half Uh if you want to know what Fellini's about (sighs) you have to see you know and that's an important important thing because I think um as as great as the computer is, we know movies from things we see on YouTube, from outtakes from YouTube. We don't see the whole thing. 
so. And that's a reductive habit sure. that the arts, that's, that m- my form, film, film and television, they are victimized by that, I think, yeah. I think a bit. Well, you know, we we are uh, big components of not only seeing uh, film, uh, but also f- seeing film on a big screen, mm-hmm. if you can, mm-hmm. with an audience Whenever on possible. film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is something that makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've you know been lucky to watch Breaking Away with you with an audience and to see everybody it, at the last bicycle race literally leaning forward in their seats towards the screen because they're so enthralled they don't know what's going to happen and it's a movie where anything could happen he could fail we don't know um, and you know so I think it's something that even the, f- the film still resonates and your performance in particular still resonates um, I am shared experiences are really you know we have so many tragic shared experiences that if we can all sit in a room together and be inspired by something yes <laughs> how valuable is that to society Mm -hmm. and now we're even being threatened by that with these viruses and stuff that are going to make communal Mm -hmm. communal practices really difficult for a while people are going to know what gay people went through with aids it was all around them everywhere they were scared everywhere didn't know what to do i thought wow it's like the world's got aids now yeah Mm -hmm. you never know yes well, anyway, let's celebrate yeah. the good. There we you go. can listen to podcasts in the comfort of your own home while you you're can. quarantined. That's very true. <laughs> um, We're here for something you. Something that we ask, or watch of, movies not on screen, right? That's true. So something that we um, ask or our, YouTube our, our guests. Uh, so keep it short. You know, we are a, a podcast about uh, surviving. How do you survive a horror film? That's our. That's what our, I know. So, do you have a tip? How would like what what how, if you could talk to the characters in a horror movie? What would you what would the, what are the survival guide tips? Don't go in there. Yep. Um, uh, uh, um, don't go at it. <laughs> I don't know. Wash your hands. <laughs> where, <laughs> right now, that's where, real life. Wear a mask. Tip. Wash your hands. I yeah. don't know. Um, um, don't let any parasites into your house. I don't know what to say. No, these are valuable. I mean, and we if, no. you're, if you're talking about 20 days I thought later, you meant so. an actor. How does the actor survive being in a harm? No, I mean, that, as the character, how does the character survive? Like, you don't do, you can't do drugs, you can't have sex. Like, these kind of things that are tropes in horror movies. Um, oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. Oh. But don't go in there. And wash like, your hands is great. Wash your hands is great. There's lots of like you know. if you're a, if you're a blonde young woman mm-hmm. who's not the lead blonde who's <laughs> you're just, who hasn't had her nose fixed yet or that yeah. one little thing that makes her not quite as pretty as the pretty ones uh-huh. you're gonna die, girl. Yeah, you're gonna die, especially if you make people laugh. They're gonna kill you off before Aww. they kill a pretty True, one. The funny one always the funny goes. One, yeah, it's the William Bendix syndrome. Yeah. In the old-fashioned movies, uh-huh. William ben- nobody knows who I'm talking about. William Bendix was the round guy that was the good friend that was in the foxhole with the other guys, uh-huh. you know, and taught people how to roll cigarettes. And he's about to die in the war movie. He's gonna die. Yeah. He, he you know, he, or he has, he snuggled on a, a little dog into the, right. into the, into the fighting zone. You know what? Right. He's oh, gonna they're both get the gonna bullet. die. Both he's, gonna got, go. he's got like a really sweet story about his wife back home. You're like, oh man, yeah, you're gonna you're go. Never gonna he's see got that a wife. picture of his wife in his helmet. <laughs> yeah. There's gonna be a bullet that goes through the helmet and through the fucking picture. I'm sorry, because the dog was fucking all the girls he doesn't have a picture of his wife in the thing and he's the lead and he's gonna survive oh yeah (laughs) he's gonna be there in the end but the guy the good guy 
Dennis, we've had so much fun talking to you today. I wish we had like three more hours because you have so many more movies and so many more stories, but you'll just have to come back and tell us again next time. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Oh, good. You are a wonderful actor. You're a wonderful person. I'm happy to call you a friend. Me too. I'm so happy we got to talk today. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Harry. Thank you. Thank you.